Welcome everybody to another episode of Idiopod. I am TJ Stone. I am Shane Glover. And today our episode is with Shane's nephew. Yeah. Tyler George. Yes, sir. How how did this conversation come off to you, Shane? Oh, I thought it was uh brilliant to be to be fair and be honest. Uh we really did dig into a lot of and, and Tyler to be uh, honest has done a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, personally it's very apparent yes and and uh, i think you'll see that come through and so it was just a great conversation getting into you know some of his stories some of the way that he was raised in a pastor's home and uh, with a twin and uh, trying to pursue music and um it was it was a great conversation yeah and if if you struggle with identity and not knowing yourself and wanting to step into your true self versus your false self. This is definitely the episode mm-hmm. for you to, to dig into and to just kind of listen in on a conversation of someone who's uh, really had to navigate on really every kind of level Yeah, all of those things. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I thought the uh, discussion about finding your own identity in the, in the, uh, from the standpoint of being a twin was especially you know, most of us don't have to deal with that kind of a thing. Uh, I, I would imagine that'd be a pretty difficult thing to navigate as you're growing older. You guys are kind of attached at the hip in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so it's always like, even for even for me as family, it was always the boys. We always talked about, hey, where are the boys? Where are the boys? And very seldom was it, where's Tyler? Where's Jordan? It was yeah. always uh, the boys. I even, when I'm talking about them, I call them the George boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they're... Their their band is even called the George Twins, which is you know catchy and it describes exactly who they are. Yeah. Um, but there's still you know there's still a little bit of that. I was like, well, what's what's the identity of each person yeah. as part of the band? I think he's done a good job of of working through that as he's entered his early twenties. I think so, and, and I think that really comes through in our conversation that mm-hmm. he's you know fighting for that his own unique expression his own unique identity and it's it's very inspiring absolutely yeah i think you'll enjoy the conversation and uh as as always if if uh, you love what we're doing here and you love getting into some of these people's stories please subscribe rate review uh wherever you're listening to this podcast and check us out for all things idiopod at idiopod.com enjoy the conversation guys And welcome to Idiopod. I am Shane. And I am TJ Stone. And today we are joined by Mr. Tyler George. What up, guys? Welcome, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks for having me. He is currently uh, one of the duo twin band called the George Twins for now. Yes. We'll see what 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 happens. And uh, it's kind of a special day today because uh, he's also my nephew. Yeah, crazy. What about that? I know. I, I love it. Bre- blood relatives. Well, actually, well, not kind of. Yeah, more more by not. more by. Uh, yeah, marriage. Marriage, so to say. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm third willing it up today. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of are. I didn't want to bring it up, but since you said it. <laughs> but I, I am glad that none of you guys can see this, but we're all wearing glasses today. So Oh, we are all wearing yes. glasses. I don't know if you noticed that, but I just now know. Well, the you two of us always Yeah, we glasses, always do. But yeah. Tyler joined today's, us today. Today's a, today is a smart day for me. Today's a no I, contact. I have to, yeah, I have to be smarter today. 
And well. you have the nice horn horn rimmed glasses too. Oh yes, yeah. exactly. That's like at least fifty percent. Yeah, twenty dollars from a place called Zini Optical. Oh, I don't know, uh, yeah. See if you know. Shout out to your sponsor. sponsor. Nice, <laughs> nice free plug there, guys. Yeah. Oh man, well it is a steamy hot day once again yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee, as always. But uh, we're nice and cool here in the yeah. comfort of TJ's humble abode. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, let's just get into it, man. Right. I I know Shane probably knows a lot more of the answers that I'm curious yeah. about, but I know the audience doesn't. And, yeah, dude. Um so you're a twin and you're the youngest of the twins by yep. how long? 1 minute. 1 Boom. minute. Yep. And I've heard from other twins talking that that actually psychologically makes, it makes a, difference. a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think being a twin, it's so interesting when I meet other twins, especially young, like the dynamic between the older and younger. And normally the older takes on that, you know, older brother role. And I think for myself, I've naturally just taken on the younger brother role. Hmm. And I mean, honestly, I don't know if that's just a cultural thing or just something that's biologically hard, hardwired, but um, my brother's desire to be seen and known, he vocalized more, mm-hmm. whereas for me, I didn't vocalize it as much. Still had the need. Yeah. But we all have the need. Yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of times being a, the second sibling or the younger sibling, uh, you just go, oh, I'm just not going to fight for it. Like, yeah. that's my way of, like, not spending a lot of emotional mm-hmm. energy. Or it's my way of not getting shut down. Yeah. Because there's only so much time. And I remember that even growing up. It's like, there's only so much time you can get your parents' attention. Yeah. And so it's always divided between you and your brother. Mm-hmm. So you have to fight for it. And so a lot of the conflict happens in that. Yeah. And... Your personality type, you think, sort of evolved from, oh, yeah. from that? I mean, I don't know if you guys know much about the Enneagram, oh, we or do. your listeners are knowing much about the Enneagram, but uh, for me, I'm a type nine, very similar to Shane. Same, same. Yep. And I'm a seven. Really? So, yeah. Nice. So uh, so I, yeah, I. if you know anything about the Enneagram, the nine is the peacemaker, very much the chameleon in a lot of ways. It can be a lot of things to a lot of people. But the hardest thing for me to do is find out what I really want or what I really desire. And especially being a twin, I'll give you the labels real quick. Being a twin pastor's kid who is also in a band, there's multiple layers of not being known kind of uh, having to adapt to certain situations and and uh, and also kind of front perform that yeah. a lot, do that a lot, and so also being in the shadow of oh yeah, an uncle who by all accounts yeah is is a man among men yes well yeah I mean that's, that's honestly that was one of the hardest things growing up. <laughs> as soon as I you know as soon as Uncle Shane arrived <laughs> yeah, it was it was very hard to be known you know uh, well. Uncle Shane fills the room with his personality yeah, and his on. humor. <laughs> come on. We talked about that last night. Yeah. So, man, that sounds like a tough row to hoe with, with just, like, quest for identity oh, and being yeah. known. Oh, yeah. I'll give you the, I'll give you the kind of the, the, the starting place of it and where I feel like I am now. Uh, 
like growing up, like I would say I had a great childhood. Like I loved my childhood. And uh, it was only until middle school where things started to like hit the fan or just started to go through a lot. And part of that was just uh, a desire to have good friends, mm-hmm. I think is was something I really grew up having. And part of it was, I don't know if I just never gave, you know, even allowed space for good friends because I had a twin brother that mm-hmm. was always there. Yep. Um, but just that desire to have good friends was so strong growing up. And like faced a decent amount of bullying. I think not mostly verbal. Like there was very rare times that I would get physically bullied. But and part of it was that my brother and I were very athletic. So Mm -hmm. that was the worst part for all the bullies that hated us. You know, it's like we would just destroy them in sports and that would make them hate (laughs) us even more. So, uh, I can vouch for the athletic yeah, yeah. thing. No one in youth group, myself included, can keep up with the George boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's a blessing and a curse for sure. Cause I had to chug a Coke through a dirty sock. Oh goodness. So, I, so. I felt sick for you. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, Rob. Anyway. Yeah. Yesterday, yesterday was youth group and my desire to win put me <laughs> in that place. Um, yes, it did. so, so, uh, so yeah, middle school was tough. High school, I feel like I started to find a little bit more of who I was, but I think a lot of high school is just building up my ego or mm-hmm. building up my false self, so to say. And and uh, a lot of it was like avoiding and trying to, I don't know, like when you don't know who you are, then everything else is like so chaotic. Yeah. And so you're just trying to strive and and find who you are in in a sea of the like especially in, in western culture and american culture of like try this, try that, try like if you know for me it was all the typical like oh pursuit of a girl like all those things kind of got shut down because I got friend zoned too often because I was also terrified of being hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And me, my my fear of failure just kept me in a place where I would, I just wouldn't make any decisions. I would just try and live in the limbo as long as I could. Mm-hmm. And because I was just paralyzed by the indecision, which led me to the only way of escape from that was when I was younger, like middle school, high school, was video games. That was the biggest escape mm-hmm. of like, well, I know my quest, I know my objective, and I can go after it. And the funny thing is, is all of the energy that I had in video games uh, never got to play out in reality. It hmm. it stayed in this, in the games. So it was escapism. I, I, for sure. And, uh, but it was like, the more that I, the more that, it's it's like, I wish I had the same confidence that I had in this game that I had in real life. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so much of my, uh, I think, growth growing up in middle school and high school was trying to tape as, take as many steps forward as I could. But I was just like, I would get hit with like a back step or just like I yeah. would fail. And I'd be like, I never want to feel that again. Yeah. As opposed to desensitizing myself to the failure and like working through failure. I just try. I I basically blew up failure to be this big bad thing, mm. and then so anytime I was near it, I would run away. So well, that that sounds like that that plays into the 
feeling of just perpetual being stuck. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because because being stuck was better than uh, being hurt. Mm. I, I feel like I feel like I can relate to that a lot. I think you and I probably also, on top of that, share uh, a similar uh, other trial to to work through is mm-hmm. the ADHD. Yeah, dude. Yeah, undiagnosed, but definitely explains so much of even currently, yeah. like even just with focus and getting half of the instructions, you know, and, and dude, I'm telling you like, uh, yeah, I mean the, and I'll do a quick story about the running away thing. Um, but when I was younger, I, I probably 11, I ran away from the house. I took the only thing I thought would comfort me, which was my Django fat action figure, which is awesome, which is the greatest thing, <laughs> which you're probably not wrong. That's yeah, it, it did. It comforted me a little bit, but not, it was just a, you know, it was a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. So, and uh, so I, I run away from the house. My dad ends up pulling the car that I now drive up on the side of the road where I'm walking. Now, why did you run away in the first well, place? Well, I ran away. I ran away because I felt misunderstood. And a lot of this was, um, I mean, it was just, uh, the main thing I would say is just being misunderstood. And so when my dad pulled over and he literally gave me a suitcase and was like, hey, if you're going to run away, you're going to need the, these. And, and how old were you at the time? I was 11. 11. And I just, I broke down. And what I started describing was all the feelings of ADHD, all the effects of ADHD in my life. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can't focus. I feel like I forget what people say right when they say it. Like if they give me a, a sequence of events, I can't even remember the back half. Like... And I just remember going, like, nobody thinks like me. Mm. That was what I ended up saying. Which is even more alienating on top of all those other factors that were alienating. Oh, yeah. So it was, you know, ADHD, pastor's kid who's in a band with his twin brother. Um, Older twin brother. Older twin brother. Um, A lot of layers of if I show up, and I realize this is the biggest limiting belief for me, if I show up as my true self, I'll hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I'll run over people because I was terrified to be like that. And so what, more so, you doing the hurting than you getting the yeah. Hurting? I'd be I'd for sure. I'll be hurt all day. I'll like I'll play the martyr all day to avoid having to hurt somebody else that I care about. Mm. Oh wow! And I yeah. relate to that. Yeah, and it's it's like one of the hardest things to do is to step up and say say something or say something that's that might cause conflict because yeah. then I might hurt somebody that I love which will hurt you and which will hurt me in the process because yeah. I'm so either codependent with that person or um, attached to that person mm-hmm. that when I hurt them it's like hurt, hurting myself too yeah so uh, throughout that the even the running away thing was a way of me I think it was the one one way I felt like I could just communicate my feelings. Hmm. Like me running away was making a message. More than you could have said. More than I could have said. Hmm. And um, Actions are louder than words. Exactly. And so what I figured out that day, crying on the curb with my dad, um, was I think like somebody else, but ultimately I think it was this desire to be seen and understood. Mm-hmm. And 
that's still something I struggle with to this day, even with the ADHD thing. But I feel like I'm finding different ways of coping with it better. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of seeing it as a disability, seeing it as a superpower. Yeah. Like, if I can focus on something, like, it's going to get destroyed. Like, I'm going to freaking You're kill gonna it. You're going to laser yeah. focus on it. Yeah. And so... It takes a while to get yes, there. The, the biggest thing is how do I... How do I actually set myself up for success in those moments to go? I'm just laser focused. I'm not going to think about all the options. I'm going to do this one thing and do it really well. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think there's something... Yeah, there's something really, really tough about trying to... I think there's something really good about what we're talking about in the... I don't, I'm afraid to be the one that hurts people. Yeah. Because if we fast forward to... I think what happened with me six months ago, I had to become, oh, oh I guess I'll, I'll rewind yeah, real quick. T- tell us what happened to you so, six months ago. So, so okay, I'm, kinda, I'm actually hitting this a little bit more in a linear way, but I went through middle school, went through high school. Um, when I was 11, had that really shaping moment about running away. When I was in high school, I got friend-zoned by this girl that I really liked all four years. Like, went to prom with her twice, and... and Before, like, before you get too far, I actually yeah. have a question about... So that moment you would define as yeah. a pretty defining moment for you? Yeah. How, how would you... Have you ever processed that what... With you being, if you label yourself, yeah. a nine, yes. and that's the, that's the type, how, how do you feel like that moment... Because yeah. before you were you were kind of like didn't feel like anyone was listening, yeah. Um, didn't have a voice, which is very much a a nine characteristic, yeah. Um, and then when that point happened, you kind of had this awareness of like, oh, this is the deal. But you know what? Now my parents see me. Mm-hmm. What was the? How do you feel like that shaped me? Shaped you? Yeah, I think that running away moment was. I think it was just the first time that I started to vocalize what I'd feel, mm. what I'd felt. Mm-hmm. Like normally, normally I don't think I would vocalize it. Not at least not what I what the true issue was. Right. Like, um, and I think that moment for me, like shaping my life later on, I know that moment was a defining moment because. I now look back at all the significant moments mm-hmm. in my life and I go, I understand my desire to run away. Mm. Yeah. I ha- like, my tendency is to escape. My tendency is to run away. So it's, it's, not, it's very much flight and not fight. And, um, but my, it sounds like it's more for the other people than it is yeah, for you. It's, yeah, it's not for me. Like, I'm not going to fight for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, and to fight for myself felt like I had to hurt other people in the process. Like fighting for myself meant other people I loved are going to be yeah. hurt in the process. So did that feel selfish to you? Yeah, in a, in selfish in a, in a bad way. Yeah. Like uh, what I'm realizing now is the best thing I can be is to be selfish. Yeah. Which is weird to say, but like I'm cl- clarifying that would be the healthiest thing for me in in the se- this season of my life is to practice healthy self-care mm. and and speak up for what I want and say, no, 
I want to do this. I'll give you a really funny example. So Jordan and my twin brother Jordan and his girlfriend uh, were going to hang out and do a date. And my dad has this really cool Jeep that I love driving. And he was out of town, so I got to drive the Jeep around and for like two days, two or three days. And Jordan comes up to me, he's like, hey, Maddie and I are going on a date, like, can I take the Jeep? And I go, uh, yeah, like, what's the, what's, the, what's the date about? And I start asking him questions, and then I stop myself, and I go, I want the Jeep. And he goes, what? And I go, <laughs> I, I want the Jeep. I, I, want, I, want, I want the Jeep. I want the Jeep. And the, even the look on his face said everything. He's like, oh, okay. And he's like, handed the keys back to me. And I was like, I want the Jeep. Nice. I want the Jeep. It's a and good that, mantra. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is what I want. And no, you know, like I could give you this. And it, I guess it's, it's selfless to give you that. But for me, it felt like the healthiest thing in that moment to go like, no, I desire to ride in this Jeep. And that's my desire. And, I, and my desire is okay. And it wasn't going to hurt them to yeah. not ride right. in the yeah. Jeep. It's so interesting because it does almost feel like, what's the big deal? Let him take the Jeep. Yeah. But the big deal is that he's expressing his desire and yeah. you're saying, okay, I'll shut mine down. Yeah. Which and is exerting, even if inadvertently, yeah. his will over yours. Exactly. And... I think growing up in the church, this was reinforced in my life mm-hmm. over and over again. If it's a desire, then it's meant to be suppressed and given mm-hmm. over. Yep. Yes. So if you have any desire about anything, and mainly it was about, I think, in the sexual realm. Yeah. But, I mean, desire is about, like, if you want to make a lot of money, if mm-hmm. you want to have worldly things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of that's bad, and we're meant to suppress all of those desires yep. because desire is evil. So somehow you're supposed to live in this place of like martyring your own desires, and somehow that's holy. Right. Which Plus is also of, how yeah. we've led to all the issues with the Catholic Church and oh, all yeah. the problems yeah, they've yeah. had. Well, plus the definition of joy for me yeah. in church was always Jesus, others, yourself, brother. Yourself is always <laughs> last. Yeah. Yeah, and like we can't experience God through our own experience. Uh-huh. It has to be tied to capital T truth, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So it's like you need to make sure that your joy is rooted in Scripture. And I'm right. like, what What does that mean? Well, like, it's very I'm, subjective yeah, depending like, on what church you're in. Yeah, right. like, okay, so <laughs> a desire is good if it's rooted in Scripture. Whose like, interpretation, who's of, interpretation the scripture? of Scripture? Yeah. Yeah. And also like... In my young brain, just thinking logically was like, I guess I can only be happy if I read the Bible. Like, because that always leads to pure bliss. Pure bliss. I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, Zachariah. This, this is this is the greatest thing I've ever heard or seen. But yeah, I think it was weird that all these desires were, I had to suppress Mm -hmm. so that somehow I could get to a blissful state when all my desires were away. So it is, in a way, it's actually kind of like stealing from the Buddhist or Hindu tradition of going, we have to, you know, desire is evil, suppress your, any, like, desire in of itself. And I think in my life, like, ever since the moment from me running away, ever since the moment, like, really, like, growing up, there's so many moments where I was like, if I express my desire... 
it's bad. This should like I shouldn't express this. Can you pinpoint uh, a time or or just something that you know sent you that message early on? Uh, I think a lot of it may have been like church stuff. I mean, mm. just growing up in Sunday school and like hearing the a lot of what you were talking about, Shane, like this the the messages of like you can't really find joy unless it's mm-hmm. in certain places in certain context I think maybe the I don't know like maybe the first like I think a, a lot of it just was youth group subculture mm. was going mm-hmm. you know the no purpling thing mm-hmm. desiring yeah. to like a girl was bad also I saw my brother go and like girls and be more uh I just he we we, we kind of described ourselves as he was the emotional risk taker and I was the physical risk taker in the sense I do flips and stuff mm-hmm. and I got injured a lot um and but he risked his heart more and he got I saw him get hurt and I go well obviously his desire for that you know it just leads to more pain yeah. more heartache yeah so who who wants so that so who wants that yeah and um and the truth is, I actually never saw a lot growing up, never saw a lot of the beauty in his relationships. Even mm-hmm. though they're, you know, young, young love, high school relationships, mm-hmm. there's like amazing feelings to be had and sure. amazing moments and experiences to share with people when you're in a relationship in high school. Like, um, like I remember like if I had, I would say, if I had kids, I'd say never to date in high school. And like where there's some truth to that, I just think... A lot of ways, I just saw the negative experiences around those desires and the ones that the relationships that Jordan did have. I just saw all the bad stuff in it, and I I was never really there. And it's kind of weird to experience all the really good parts of it. Mm-hmm. So, I think growing up, mainly seeing my brother take the emotional risks, and being in that the Christian youth group subculture where, like, the desire to like a girl was almost demonized and uh and i don't think there was as much of like hey if you make money you're that's evil um or make a lot of money that's evil but i think it was mainly tied to the desire to like a girl because that for me was like my biggest struggle like going which is natural yeah you're going to like a girl yeah especially with teenage hormones and yeah and that throughout the Throughout high school, I liked the same girl for four years, off and on, but more mostly on, and uh, you know, bro, like basically told her that I liked her, and then she was like, "Oh yeah, I'm dating this guy," and she told nobody about it, and so I wrote a song ca- called um, "I'm in love with your girlfriend" to the guy she was dating. Oh wow, great song. Still that's one of my a ballsy favorite songs. move. <laughs> yeah, uh, and still that's a fu- that's a funny story for another uh, time, but yeah. Uh, and then eventually two years later, right before she goes off to college and I stay here, um, she was like, yeah, I, I actually do like you. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is the moment. Mm-hmm. But terrible time. Two weeks later, she's like, actually, I can't do this. See ya. I'm going off to college. What? And I instantly like broke me. It was just like, I'm never risking my heart again, basically. Mm. And... And I never want to be that girl to anybody else. 
So when I got in a relationship, I was like, first person I date is going to be the first person I marry. Mm. Mm. And I had people say that to me all the time because Jordan w- dated more than I did. Before that, that Before happened? Before that was like, oh, Jordan's the person that's going to find a girl through you know, you know, dating lots of people. The first person that Tyler's going to date, he's going to marry. People would say that. Like, people said that. That's a lot to live up to. Exactly. So, getting to the big moment that happened six months ago, where I felt like God was calling me to break up with my fiancé, was I had to become the person I hated the most, Mm. which was that girl in high school, to Mm. go, hey, actually, yes, and then two weeks later, say no. But for me, it was like a three-month process of going... I'm engaged and there's, I, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. Mm. And the, the, like the question that I even asked this morning on my Instagram and on Sunday to the church was, what is a, a decision that you're avoiding? Mm-hmm. That, and for me, the way that I'd phrase it is, what's a decision that you're avoiding that's keeping you from becoming the best version of yourself? Mm-hmm. So good. And for me, letting go of that relationship was that decision. And I knew it, but I hated having to go through it. Mm. So now I've found so much life on the other side of that. But it was, it was terrifying to even entertain that thought. I bet. Because I had to almost break a lot of the prophecies that people yeah. spoke over me. I had to risk, you know, we still have friends in the same friend groups. So I'm r- risking a lot of my friends, which I, you know, felt like I found like a solid group of friends and. Yeah. Having to risk all that was like I finally stepped into to my deepest place of pain. Mm. That's everything. And and was like, all right, God, I trust you in this. And so. So how how did you know? What was the feeling that made you know that this wasn't right, and you finally had to yeah. to well up enough passion to do it? It's a great question, TJ. Um, I didn't know. I didn't, and I still don't. Wow. Like, I think there's a, again, I've talked about a little bit of this on Sunday at church, but um, I was searching for certainty, and God was reminding me of relationship. Mm -hmm. So I would go, God, I need to know, should I break up with her or should I not? Hmm. And what did you hear? I didn't hear anything at first, and then I just was praying and fasting, and I'm like, God, I need to know which way should I go, and then I heard, I am with you, and I'm like, cool, God, which way should I go, and sh- should I should I break up with her, or should I, shouldn't I? I am with you. I'm like, okay, but what should I do, and he's just keeps saying, I'm with you, and I'm like, okay. So God's with me. So whatever decision I make, he if it's the quote unquote wrong decision, he'll always redeem. Yeah. And if it's the quote unquote right decision, I'll be living in the kingdom. Yeah. So the, it took all the energy from what's the right thing. And I just like as much as I wish I could say like I heard like a the voice or whatever like I just had this feeling inside of I like my 
my true self knew what to do. Mm. Like, I would say there's this, like, when, that, when all the distractions fall away, like, my true, I, my true self knew what to do. And I just felt it inside. Like, it's hard to describe other than people would call it the spirit or the universe or whatever. Like, when I, when I got rid of distractions, my true self knew. And I was like, yep. Now, what do you have to do to get rid of the distractions for you? Because I know... Video games. Yep. Video games. That was, that was most of it. Most of it. Yeah. And, um, Just turn them off? Yeah. You can't, oh, you know what it was? You can't escape. Mm. So you have to face it. Well, you can't escape your true self. Correct. But if I got rid of all the avenues, like food, diet, like fasting food, like that's not... I, like, I'm kind of poor, so I'm, like, doing that anyway. So it's like... So that's how you're so skinny. Yeah, right? And, um, no, but f- food wasn't really a thing that was, like, easy, hard for me to fast. Like, I'd be like, I can fast food. This is easy. Yeah, We like, all have our idols. Yeah. I can but, fast food, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means something different when, you, oh, when yeah. we do it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but uh, fasting media... Fasting YouTube mm-hmm. and fasting video games. That's tough. The hardest. So then I just was like, I was in this place where I had nowhere left to turn but to God. And just just in constant conversation with him. And just speaking out everything I was feeling, speaking out uh, all of it. And that's where I feel like I got to this like really centered self where like I didn't, like, I'm like, if I trust God with the outcome, like, what would I do? Like, if God was trustworthy, how would I act? Did you believe before this that God was trustworthy? Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. I mean, I think that's the thing that, at the end of the day, is like one of those, like, key phrases and questions about any decision that we make. Yeah. Hmm. That will that will affect the trajectory of a decision. Do Absolutely. you guys think do you guys think this is a little more of an abstract? Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. Roll with it. Do you guys think that God has this step by step plan for each of us? And so in other words, yeah. he knew what you you better make this the right decision here. Yeah. And there is a quote unquote right or wrong decision, or do you feel like God is a little more like, Hey, you know, obviously there, there are wrong decisions like mm-hmm. murdering someone is probably yeah. always yeah. a wrong decision. Right. Yeah. So, but uh, apart from really, although God unless, has called people to unless murder you're people in, in war. the Bible. Well, that's, <laughs> you know, I would say people think God called them to murder people. That's my opinion. Yeah. Fair enough. However, um, Apart from off the wall things like that, mm-hmm. do you do you think that he has this plan for you, and you could screw it up, or do you feel like it's an open field and he's like, hey, whatever you, just do it, just take a step, and whatever it is, it's gonna be fine. Yeah, I think if we look at like. If we look at Adam and Eve, the first humans on the planet, I don't think God had a trajectory for them when the, before they ate the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. I think... I, I just think the... If you live the life 
of God has something planned for me and I need to make sure I nail the plan. Mm-hmm. For me, that's hell. Like that's 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 living in a place that's oh, hellish yeah. because you're constantly debating back oh, and forth whether gosh, or not you're yes. you're on the right track, that you're getting it right, that your right. quest for the knowledge of good and evil yeah. is supposed to is gonna be complete versus going, I'm gonna live with Christ every day and every day is a new day and oh again back to our experience our, our experience and our desire being evil mm-hmm. if our if our desires are actually placed there and they're actually meant for good mm-hmm. like they're originally good mm-hmm. then following our desires is actually a good thing like a desire to love somebody a desire to um create like mm-hmm. all these different things like I think God is less concerned about with us nailing and getting the plan right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and more concerned about being in a relationship. Right. Absolutely. And I think I'm always thinking of that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven verse mm-hmm. that's like I have I have a plan like plans for you to prosper and have like all this those types of things. I think God knows like he quote unquote knows what's gonna happen. Yeah. But I don't think. He's dictating it how it happens. He's outside of time. Yeah, which is still like another crazy. Yeah, that's just yeah, crazy to think right about. Yeah, deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I would agree with you. I don't know that he's that God is up there, up there, mm-hmm. going. I did air quotes by the way. Yeah, up there, uh, going. Oh, you made the wrong decision. I. Yeah. This is not in the plan that I, know, I had for you. Yep, I know that you felt that it was right for you to break that off, but I wanted you to marry that girl. So yeah. now we're gonna have to Oh and now you're gonna experience around. hell because right. you didn't you didn't right. make the right decision. Right. Yeah. I I don't I don't yeah. I don't subscribe to that. I, I you know you can subscribe to that way of thinking. Sure I just can. think the way of think thinking in the lifestyle that <clears throat> follows when you subscribe to that mm-hmm. is a life of misery. Yeah. Because all it is is a quest for certainty mm-hmm. in an uncertain world. Yep. Well, it's a control system. Absolutely. And and what a lot of people who would say that they believe in the concept of free will, yeah. but then live like this, mm-hmm. what they don't realize is they're living in a system that presumes predestination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether they say they believe in it or not. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that that conversation just blows my mind yeah Um, yeah i mean it's it's hard it's hard because you're talking about you're talking about very and this is what i love doing so a lot of those conversations are very like ethereal or abstract yeah if you boil it down to the practical level you go okay what does this look like let's take those abstracts and start to put them into reality or take those thoughts and that way of thinking and put into reality let's do it what like what path happens in that that's why for me it's like where what I, where I see life going is you either have a quest for certainty in control mm-hmm. or a quest for love in presence mm-hmm. so relationship relationship right. exactly um, because if you're if your quest is for certainty you'll always be miserable mm-hmm. if your quest is for presence, you, it's available at any time, and you can tap into joy. You can tap into love at any time. And the best way that this is an example in my life is in video games. If my goal is to win the game, 
I'm either mi- I'm either miserable when I lose or kind of satisfied when I win. And there's no in between. Uh-huh. And there's n- there's no in between. But if my goal is actually to enjoy the process of playing the game, it changes everything about mm-hmm. how I play the game. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I win, which is the other cool part. But it never phases who I am. It never. Yeah. I'm never put in hell because I lose. And I'm not. I'm not like ever like kind of satisfied or not fully satisfied when I win. Mm-hmm. I'm fully satisfied in the present playing with uh, whoever I'm playing with, or if it's myself. Like the the joy of the process, I can tap into at any time, and it's not subject to that up and down schizophrenic way of trying to, you know find joy or find peace Mm -hmm. yeah but in order to do that you have to not be placing your identity and i'm a winner i'm the one who wins this game because then what happens when you don't win this game you've lost your identity yeah and then who are you yeah and that for me is a big thing too because i like winning i'm very competitive Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's i think that was shaped being a twin too but it's oh i'm sure it's a built-in competition oh yeah but to be, a, I need to be the winner. I need to prove myself because winning means I'm seen, mm. ultimately. So true. Wow, that's good stuff, man. Well, that's a good, good little moment for transition. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll get into that after this word from our sponsor. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no sponsors yet. <clears throat> but um, so so just to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. You guys were born in South Florida. Yep. You lived there not very long. How long? I, I mean, two years. Right. I, I don't remember any of right. it. So. Right. And so then you guys moved to St. Charles, which is just outside of the St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. You were there for a really most of your... Formative, like... Right. Yeah. Until fourth grade. Till fourth grade. Okay. At which time you guys moved here to the Nashville area. Yes. And so talk me, obviously, as your uncle, I remember you guys playing every sport there is growing up and... Um, even some high school football yeah. and things like that. What, tell me, talk a little bit about when music started kind of becoming yes. a thing for you guys. So, so for Jordan and I, it, so it all, for Jordan, it all started with guitar hero. He go, he played guitar hero, fell in love with it. And then he was like, how, how hard could real guitar be? And so he like tried Post Malone. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, um, That's turns awesome. out it's way harder. And, um, <laughs> So that got him to guitar. He's like, obviously, I should sing. It's because I need to impress the ladies, obviously. Right. So he joins. He gets peer pressured into a chorus by our chorus teacher. Awesome. And uh, so he starts singing, and then one day he comes home, and he's like, hey, I learned this thing. It's called harmony. If you sing this note, da-da-da, and I sing this note, da-da-da, it's harmony. And if we sing it together, it's harmony. And so we wrote our first song playing the chords to play to the chords of Chopsticks, Perfect. which is that dun 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 Wrote our first song, and how old were you? We were sixteen. This was sophomore year of high school. Okay. And um, at that time, I'd not sang at all, and I, I think I'd just gotten into playing drums. And so, uh, so we do that. We we eventually write the song 
and at our church at the time, we had this thing called Sunday Fun Day, which was this like a bunch of like single artists would get together and hang out at these oh, guys' yeah. house that they had. That's right. It's what would eventually become the Arts Collective, right? Basically, what it would eventually become the Arts Collective. And it was a safe place for Jordan and I to go. They were like, we heard you wrote a song. Do you want to play it? And we are like, no. And they are like, <laughs> and they're like, you should play it. And we're like, okay, whatever. We're playing for these unbelievably, ridiculously talented artists. And we're like, how that? That's terrifying. But we were like, okay. So we play the song, and they like it. And it, they were like, actually, this song is super catchy. So the next time we went, we came back, they asked if we would sing the song again. Mm-hmm. So we were like, what? This is... That's enforcing. Yeah, like, it's very much going, you know, maybe we could do this. Like, this is fun. And that was the first big push into maybe we could do music. Then we got asked to do the X Factor, um, which was nuts. Um, so literally our third show ever. So we had, we'd wrote this song, we'd written a couple other songs, and then kind of word got out we were doing music, two twins doing music, this guy goes, I heard about you guys. I saw some videos online of, you know, the se- the second show we ever played. Um, Which, we- to clarify, that's the only kind of twins is two. Yes. 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 I guess. <laughs> and um, so uh, so we, we play this sh- one show, and this guy asks us, like, you, well, you'll skip all the big cattle call lines, and I'll, we'll put you right to the executive judge rounds. So we're like, okay. So we so we do the the executive judge rounds, and then we are basically like, all right, we're, you're, you're going to be on the X Factor, and perform in front of the judges. So we're like, oh, that's awesome. We have no idea what we're getting into. <laughs> it's the third show we ever done, and we walk out on stage, and it's six thousand people. Wow. Demi Lovato, Simon Cowell, and two other people that are less popular. Where was it being recorded? This was in South Carolina. And my we, home state, and we were actually Charleston. Charleston, right? yeah, yeah, Charleston, and we were actually one of three pairs of twins that were on the show. One one pair of twins. Uh, it just seemed like the twins were there for comedic relief, mm. and uh, and so Jordan and I were like, oh, okay, I hope we're not. Hopefully, we're not going to be the comedic relief. So, um. Uh, so we go out on stage. I mean, it's just nuts. 6,000 people cheering. Freaking Demi Lovato, Simon Cowell's like looking at you. And it's weird when you watch the show, like the camera angles, like looks like they're looking at you. And, but like this wasn't a TV, like they were actually looking at Jordan mm-hmm. and I. So we were like, hey, we're going to do this song. And they're like, actually, we want you to do your backup song. And we're like, oh, oh wow. Frick. So we had a song prepared that we were going to do, and they asked us to do our backup song. Any so, idea why? I don't know. Just yeah. to mess like with a, you? Yeah. Just see how, how you could roll I don't know. It. Like, so Simon weird. was just like, do you have any other songs? And so we were like, we have this backup song that we did. So we're doing the backup song, and we can't hear ourselves at all. And it's a train wreck. Our they don't, nerves they don't are have like, monitors for you? No, you don't have monitors at all. So oh, you wow. can't hear yourself. Like They have wedges, but you can't hear them. Like, mm. They weren't turned up. And I couldn't hear Jordan singing. He couldn't hear me singing. It was a train wreck. Even if we did hear each other sing, it still wouldn't be that good. Like It was our third show we ever did. Yeah. But it was just this big... like 
like Simon was nice and Demi was nice. It was like we walked away going like we got no's, but you know, there's a lot of work to go. Mm-hmm. And that was a defining moment for Jordan and I to go. We're going to have to work really hard for this. Wow. And this, I can't imagine that being a third show. Yeah. Third show. Ever. From Simon Cowell. So, uh, so eventually, uh, there's a guy named Alan Powell who used to be a part of a band called Anthem Lights. He invites us under his wing and goes, hey, we've just started figuring out this YouTube thing. I think you guys should do it. So we started making YouTube videos. Two of the videos go viral. One of them has 11 million views. The other one has 3 million views. And, uh, and we start doing, being social media influencers. And then we move out of the house, get like reality hits, and now we have to find jobs. Mm-hmm. So music stuff died down. Yeah. And, uh, and we're still kind of in this place now. Like we've been touring colleges and, and playing for people there, which has shaped them a lot of like what we want to do and why we want to do music mm-hmm. because we're interacting with all these students that we would have never interact with. Yeah. Like people from North Dakota, like we're in Fargo playing for their agricultural, you know, like in a hallway for their agriculture students who are studying plant breeding. Like yeah. super weird. <laughs> and you guys never did the traditional college experience, no. uh. right? So it, in a way it was like our traditional college experience, but we meet all these people that go, this, you guys, it's, there's something different about you. And like, so we talk a little bit about Jesus and what Jesus has been in our lives. And, um, cause y'all play a lot of like secular yeah, we, cover we play songs mostly secular and our music is like, you could call it positive pop, but we never say Jesus ex- explicitly. Yeah. And it just invites these people to go, what is that? And mm-hmm. it's a, an amazing opportunity for us to share the gospel with people. So, but the, does that also make it difficult as you're deciding, do we go full in Christian 100%. or do we keep it down the middle? Because I felt like, the best analogy I could use to describe this, I felt like we, when we're doing these NACA shows or these college shows, it's all planting seeds. It's, mm-hmm. hey, you're loved, planting seeds. And maybe you have the conversation afterwards where you can start to harvest those seeds or like cultivate them. It wouldn't really be a harvest until you, I think, until later in life. Yeah. But uh, plant and cultivate. I felt like when we got into Christian music, we had to plant, cultivate, and harvest in one song Mm -hmm. or in one event. That's a high expectation. Yeah. And I think for us... I grew up going, if, well, if I'm going to be a Christian artist, i got to do the altar calls, and you got to do all these things, and like make sure people have their theology right before they can be loved. Like, And I'm not saying that that is the way that the Christian music industry is, but there is, in the past, there has been a formula, and that formula has been pressed upon a lot yeah. of Christian artists. All you got to do is go to one of the big mega shows with like a dozen artists, and there's going to be an altar call at some point. Yeah, yeah, and... and Every single artist has their own purpose and their own place and their own expression of how they interact with God. That is not at all what Jordan and I want to do. We were mm-hmm. like, can we still plant and, and cultivate if we're Christian artists? And what we're realizing is, yes, no one f- cares anymore about what genre you're in. Yeah. If you're on a Spotify playlist, they're like, I love this song. I love this artist. Right. I'm going to yeah. follow them. I'm right. going to go to their shows. Mm-hmm. Like, All of those barriers and all those things have fallen away and i think so beautifully jordan and i have been able to fit 
basically fill out what I think fill a need in, in the, in the market to go, I love Jesus. Um, but what if hell isn't real or like, so to say, like, I love Jesus, but we're going to, we're going to actually start to see him in a different way than Mm -hmm. most people do. Yeah. Uh, How can we be more loving, more inclusive? Um, and what's the difference between being for you mm -hmm. being a Christian artist versus being an artist who is a Christian? I, well, I kind I would like to say that they're the same thing, but there's a when when I think when people slap the I'm a Christian artist, yeah, the perception that people have and the meaning that they attach to that perception is you're not the same human on stage than you are off stage. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because uh, part of it is I've known Christian artists that have had to be one way on stage. Because they have to maintain a certain theological belief to be associated as the Christian artist. Yeah, but the, in the and the problem is with that, there's no growth. You have, yeah. So if you grow, if you have, if you learn new information, new ways of being, you can't express that publicly. You have to maintain a quote unquote consistent image. Because that's your audience. Because that's your audience. Because how dare you even introduce any sense of like uncertainty or doubt mm-hmm. when you're when we're talking about God who is yes the same as yesterday today and forever so I think that's where the the Christian kind of like that word gets a little mixed up versus mm-hmm. being I'm a Christian um who's also an artist and I'm just trying to figure it out yeah. I'm gonna write music that comes from my heart that comes from who I am and which is so much more inviting that way yes and I can grow. That's and great, if you're not growing, yeah. I'm sorry. You're good. If you're not growing, then you're also not inviting your audience to grow either. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, well I think that's a, that's a really good viewpoint. I'm I'm personally kind of annoyed, fed up with how <laughs> quote unquote the Christian community treats uh, artists Preach. who. Um, who are on their journey? You yes. know, Marty Sampson being the most recent from yeah. you know Hillsong oh, and because he was like yeah yeah and, and so because it's it's so easy it's amazing how quick we say yep he's you know uh, he's out he's so, trash yeah and you know no one really says it quite that but you kind of it feels like that's what you're saying like he's lost his way he's yeah. fallen off the deep end he's you know, he's not normal. God bless him. What did him. he do? I'm sorry. I'm God bless him. So he's a he's a. I know Hillsong. Oh yeah, but I don't know all years the and years. He's he's just one of the most recent yeah. artists to come out or writers to come out saying, I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole Christian. Um, I don't yeah. want to put words in his mouth, but yeah. basically, like what Michael Gundor the quote did? is, I'm not a believer, kind of thing. Yeah, and so for me, it's just like. It's so quick for the Christian community to just jump on that and be like, another one has fallen victim to the ways of the world, and you know this. What was whole, his name again? Marty Sampson. Sampson. He's um, and there's others just like him, you know. Over there, you said Gunger. Same, yeah. same idea. He's um, a Buddhist now. Yeah, he's. I don't think he would subscribe to anything. He doesn't like to be labeled anything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I can appreciate but, that. But yeah, so, but for me, it's just more than anything. It's just how quickly 
I say we because I'm part of it. Says he hadn't re- renounced his faith, but he's on incredibly shaky ground. Samson told told this newspaper that he is struggling with many parts of his belief system. Yeah, that seems so incoherent with common human morality. Right. So my my assumption, you know, like if you if you have any type of um, doubt in the way that you view God, and it's not exactly how the Christian a community has defined what your experience of God should look like, then you're out. Yeah, you're in or you're out. And I just, I really, it really, I, I just don't. It's like, not really but, the but, love of Jesus. Right, like there's no room for, there's no room for your journey here. You're a Christian songwriter. Ooh. You can't, you you can't be, you know, yeah. curious and, and have doubts and all this stuff. So that you means you backslidden. Right. It's all ego. It's all rein- like you said. I think you said talking about like it's just like no. I think it was you la- yesterday actually. Mm-hmm. I think uh, all it is is reinforcing our false self, mm-hmm. our ego, mm-hmm. because if we can't doubt, we can't let our past self die. Mm-hmm. We can't. We can't like the what Jesus. I believe Jesus showed up on the planet to do. Is to show us how to die to our false self. Mm-hmm. Is to show us how to resurrect in new life. Like, but if we're never able to question our ego or question our like belief system, mm-hmm. we can never grow. Yeah, and we can never we never get to confront our false self. Yeah. And it's only the false self that wants to be right about everything. Yeah, and everything we do either feeds the ego or feeds the true self. Yeah. Which is just it, that that for me, it's been cool to put new language to the flesh and the spirit because mm-hmm. they always felt really gross. Like, and to be able to say yeah. the flat and to say false self and true self, it feels more coherent with where I'm at now. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And I also, it just doesn't feel weird to have a conversation with a normal human being yeah. that doesn't know Christian lingo yeah. about. Your, you know, flesh and your spirit, yeah. or your false self. I, I just saw recently Richard Rohr said, um, probably when I was studying for last night, said that Paul unfortunately used the word flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I was funny. like, okay, yeah. Um, In the two thousands, we have a lot of different connotations that's right. to flesh. That's right. So you you grew up, as you said, yeah. in a pastor's home. Yeah. So your dad and your mom have been in some form of ministry your entire life. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. What's, tell me, do you have a view? You don't have a viewpoint other than that as yeah. far as. I mean, I don't know what up. it's not like. Right. But I can tell you what it's like. Yeah. What's, what's it like? Um, I don't know. Like I've had a lot of, and I've almost like even thought about having a pod, like another podcast. that's just conversations with pastors, kids. Um, that would be very interesting. But, uh, it's PK USA. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, but so much of our beliefs about God are shaped by how our father, normally it's a father mm-hmm. that's the pastor, how our father treats the church and treats us. Mm. So if there's a higher priority on the success of the church than the success of the family unit, or just the success of a really quote unquote success of a relationship mm-hmm. yeah. or time in a relationship with their kids, the kids will always rebel, mm-hmm. almost always rebel from God mm-hmm. because they go, I never want to be a part of a God that right. says 
spend less time with your kids. And they're yeah. really rebelling against parents. Yeah, in I mean, a way. It's like, but they're projecting that on God. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I felt like my dad has done a great job of like spending time with us and making sure that we feel mm-hmm. valued and shown up to the places where. Yeah. You know, and the truth is, the church could be in a more successful place if he spent more time with the church and not with us. Which is a hard balancing act, especially when to be a successful pastor, yeah. you have to have a performance mentality. Correct. Which right. I know your dad does. Yeah, and, and, and I think for him, I just think something that was instilled in him, and also I think my mom was a huge, huge advocate and... And I'd say one of the biggest, you know, pieces of the puzzle for us staying uh, as a solid as a solid family is she just would always be like, "We're having family times. Mm-hmm. Like we're yep. we're locking that in good. because family is priority." And so what's been ingrained in me is family's priority. So when I have a family one day, my my what is ingrained in me and my mm-hmm. thing to pursue towards is how do I have a healthy family? And maybe my career and the success of my career might fail a little bit, but I know that my my family's. I'd rather have to have that plate spinning mm-hmm. faster than the one in my career. Yeah, there's definitely some been some great intentionality that I've seen in your yeah. family, and you know sometimes if you look at at your family's calendar, it's mm-hmm. like insane. It's tw- yeah. It's like ridiculous. Your dad's as insane as it is, but then just your mom and trying to yeah. juggle everybody. Um, it's gotten a little less stressful now that you guys are yeah. adults and that kind of thing. Um, and you know, my mom's had to take the, the full yeah. brunt of, oh, of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, but I, I can see that intentionality of the calendar, what it does as, as it might seem um, like a bondage type of thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, my calendar... Yeah. But it's actually the opposite. It's it's freeing in a yeah. sense because now you've got here's the time I have set aside for church relationships and that kind of thing. Yeah. And here's here's our family time. And so that it's prioritized. Whereas some people I think just go, I'll just do whatever I gotta do for the church and then if there's time left Yeah. You know. You get the leftovers. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And sometimes people think discipline is the opposite of freedom mm-hmm. as opposed to discipline right. actually equaling freedom. Mm. And Talk about that. That's good. Yeah. I, I think for me, discipline is one of the hardest things for me to do because mm-hmm. I see so many options in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, discipline is like an intentionality of focus. And where I, if I can plan my day ahead of time, I'm focused on what I'm doing that day yep. as opposed to for me, oh, I spend so much time getting lost in, well, I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. I could do that, which is why the discipline of focusing and being intentional creates more space yes. to find, to be productive, to, to do all the things I want to do and to yeah. hit all my goals and to, and to even be present with God, like scheduling in spontaneous spontaneity is also a, a thing that's helpful because I don't have to, my mental capacity. Literally, I was reading this book on habit, mm-hmm. the power of habit, and it was talking about when you create habits, it's literally locks away those things in like I think it was shown like a brain wave or something or some type of waveform. But like when you create a habit, your brain doesn't even use that energy anymore. So you have so much more energy for whatever you're gonna do mm-hmm. next because your habits already in place. 
Yeah. So for me, in my like right now, I'm getting a nine to five job because I know I need this to knock out all the other things that go. I need to make money. I need to make money for this season. Yeah. To just ingrain a habit of going. This is my work hours because I've literally been on the road traveling mm. and I have had zero like schedule and so my brain is constantly fatigued and zero stability yeah and i'm like zero schedule zero stability and i'm constantly fatigued because of all of the things i feel like i have to create on its own and so that's why the season for me is just kind of finding stability again sometimes it's nice to just enter into a situation that already has structure because it's a release from from you having to create it all for yourself absolutely and that's one of the reasons I've went back to, to teaching again. Yeah. It's just to know, okay, well, on this day at this time, I'm going to be doing, doing this. this. And, I'm, and I'm taking care of, this is a way I can take care of myself. Yes. And so. Self-care. Exactly. So that's always been a, a huge, uh, when it comes to discipline, it's, I'm becoming more self-disciplined. Um, and I think it's just increasing my self-care as well. So as we're winding down in the next few minutes here, I'm just curious because it, it, it seems like you're in the dead middle of such such a just a wave of change yeah, for you, an awakening, a spiritual awakening, <laughs> yeah, self-awareness, and it's so awesome to see. Yeah. But I'm curious, what are some of those things that you're doing for self-care? What, mm-hmm. are, what are some of the things that in this season of unknowing and 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 just being able to label yeah. a season and say, okay, yeah. it's it's not infinity. It's not gonna be forever. Yeah. Yes. What are you doing for for yourself? Um, I think the biggest thing is is just getting a nine to five job, which is the like it's almost like a, a it actually is a really humbling thing as an artist. Mm. Yeah. Um, Struggling artist. Yeah. To literally like to go up, oh, going back to my day job, like kind of felt a little bit of pride in not having yeah, to work. Sure. I've been and, there. Um, so getting a J job that's I mean that's like that's been the biggest thing that's helpful for me in my self-care journey um what other things um what are some things that are giving you life right now that's a good question um I'm just creating more like in this season I have more intentionality in creating and like instead of all my things that I'm listening to being about like politics or Star Wars or mm-hmm. uh, like all the things that I'm studying being around those things I just had an intentionality on like how to become a better producer how to how to uh, a lot of theology stuff like uh, reading has been a big thing for me Richard Rohr has been a huge kind of voice that's helped me through this process um, and so it's, I just change the information that I'm consuming. Yeah. The information I'm consuming is actually pushing me towards or pulling me towards growth mm-hmm. as opposed to finding things that satisfy me in the temporary and I don't really grow from. So I'm just I'm doing a lot of things of planting seeds that will eventually I'll be able to cultivate and harvest, harvest later in the future. Yeah. But I'm I'm just like I'm taking steps. Honestly, the the biggest thing like healthcare or self-care for me has been making decisions. Like literally just like instead of anytime I come with this like, well what should I do? I should do this, 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 this. I just pick one and I do it. Yeah. 
And I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do. The power of intentionality. Yeah. And so, honestly, the power of intentionality has been the biggest thing for me in self-care. I mean, obviously, there's, like, resources and stuff, like, books I've been reading that have been really helpful. Yeah. But they're all under the umbrella of setting my intentionality and uh, not just setting my intentionality, but also, like, just take making decisions and clearing space like just a lot of subtraction of the things that have distracted me. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like you're you're changing your posture from from a uh desiring to disengage to being more intentional with Absolutely. engaging. Absolutely. Literally if I could describe the last season, it was disengaging mm. with, in multiple ways. Yeah. <laughs> Not just emotionally, but physically disengaging being engaged and not being disengaged yeah, yeah, anymore. Literally. <laughs> um, and literally. So now, so now um, I feel like I'm in a season of re-engaging. Mm. And, cool. uh, and it's terrifying, but awesome. So, Two great words to juxtapose yeah. together. Terrifying and awesome. Yeah. You know, they're, they're kind of related. Awe. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. That's true. Yeah, awesome, but also terrifying, and truly awesome. But also terrifying, and terrifying, and And terrifyingly awesome. awesome. And amen. Well, thanks so much for for being with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, it's fun. Man, obviously, as your uh, uncle and uh, watching you grow up, um, I'm so proud of you. Sure, sure for the. You know the music and the George fans. You guys are uh, incredibly gifted songwriters yeah. and musicians and and vocalists. Um, but also, just for I'm really proud of who you've become and who you continue to be. Just kind of the open field of, you know, who who is who am I? God, let's go, let's do this. <laughs> this guy's got the gift of teaching. Yes, here. he does. He's he good. is his his. He's good. He, he is not his dad <laughs> because he is his I, own man. I'd like to learn as much as I can from him. And uh-huh. He has a lot so, to teach you, but yeah. you are your own man, and you, you have a similar gift, but your own unique gift. Thank you. I received that. So before we leave, tell us where to find you on Find You can find me on the socials. Uh, the socials? The, I think. So my Instagram is Tyler Graham George. Uh, Twitter is TylerGeorge81, but the truth is I'm on Instagram most of the time, so if you guys want to chat about anything we've talked about or um, get connected with me, Instagram is the best way to do that. Um, And uh, if you want to check out any of the music stuff, that's going to be underneath the George Twins. You can literally type that into any search engine and on Instagram as well. It's going to be our biggest platform or most uh, engaged platform. Definitely check them out. At the George Twins. And these guys actively engage their audience, guys. Yes, they do. And they just, you just Just released an album uh, of uh, a lot of the singles that we released in the past, kind of re-released them, and Mm -hmm. they're kind of really just a great record or snapshot of where we were. And we've got a lot of new stuff coming. That's awesome. Literally, this morning I was working on something new that I'm really excited to share. I'm excited about it. So a lot of kind of the, stuff kind of the yeah. YouTube trajectory is yeah. a lot of covers, which yep. you guys have definitely done. Mm-hmm. But this latest thing is all yeah. originals, it's, it's, right? This last, the last thing that we released is all original yeah. originals. Yeah. 
and we're about to release after that will be a, a series of all the covers that we've done. Okay. And then we've got some new covers and some new original music Come on. Nice. on the way as well. Excited to hear it. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.